Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. And today I'm with Oliver Magprang, CEO of Miles. Welcome. Hi, Gunnar. Thanks for having me. Oliver, we just met at the Wunder Mobility Summit and your team stood out for many things, but also you are the best partying new mobility team at the moment. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, no comments. <laughs> no comments. I think it was one of our team members' birthday also that might have helped. In addition, it was even one of your birthdays. You are a new mobility veteran, basically. Today, CEO of Miles, one of the most successful car sharing in Germany, but you also had a history in new mobility before. Can you give us a bit of a background where you worked before, how you got into all of this? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm natively Canadian. I've been living in Berlin for 15 years and started my career here in, in, in software consulting and then basically started my first startup in 2012 called CarJump. It was basically a car sharing aggregation platform. So for those that can recall at the time in Germany, Car2Go, DriveNow, uh, Multicity from Citroën, uh, like all these free floats, car sharing startups, um, kind of corporate startups, let's say, were kind of popping up. And for me, it was just evident that, you know, in the long run, um, from a convenience standpoint, there needed to, to be a single point of, of sign-on, a single point of use. And CarJump was basically a car sharing aggregator that allowed you to, to basically look for and book all the vehicles through a single point. Yeah, led that for for. Two and a half, three years, the company was sold to, to PSA. It's been, since been rebranded into free to move. Yeah, and I've basically went back into consulting at Carney. And as soon as I could, basically got right back into mobility. I joined Moya in Hamburg. It's basically a startup in a, in a, in a corporate, let's say. Uh, it's a 100% electrified car sharing company currently operating in Hamburg and Hannover. And uh, I was in the strategy and M&A unit, which kind of, the objective is to kind of keep your ear to the ground. And Miles had just done a successfully closed at Series C with, uh, sorry, Series A with, uh, with Lukas Kodowski mm -hmm. and was looking to expand the management team uh, a bit. And Alex Eitner, the founder of Miles, Miles is his second attempt at a car sharing operator. He initially founded uh, Spotcar in 2012. That's where we met because we had integrated them um, at the time as well. Unfortunately, Spotcar failed, but fortunately, Alex took one deep breath and, and restarted. <laughs> so I knew Alex, I knew um, Lukas Kodowski and Team Global, the investor group. Um, so it kind of just all fit. And so I joined Miles in 2019 as CEO. I would like to go back to that first adventure car jump. And you said it's an aggregator for different car sharing providers. And you said it was obvious to you at the time that that would be needed. You mentioned a bunch of the players that were in the market at the time. Do you still think today that aggregators are going to play a big role? from your current perspective as leading one of the operators? I think definitely. Um, I think they have a huge role to play in, in regards to convenience and especially entry, uh, like user entry into, into, this new, into new mobility modes. If you're on an aggregator, it's much easier to just try one of the new modes or added modes or new operator modes that, that are being offered. I think they make a lot of sense, especially once you start going into like bundling corporate, corporate uh, mobility budgets like offering flexibility, I think they, they make a lot of sense. I think as someone who's been on both sides of the table, I think there needs to be an honest discussion about, you know, take rates and margins and, 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 and that type of aspect because uh, it's, it's a low margin sector we're in. 
Uh, so it's not like yeah. booking.com or HRS that can, you know, <laughs> just take this huge cut that's, that's not there. But I think it makes a ton of sense. What do you think about a strategy like free now when you are basically a ride hailing operator and now also trying to aggregate others, be an aggregator and an operator for some of these services at the same time? That's a very good question, I think. Um, so we are integrated into Freenow. We were the first mm -hmm. car-sharing operator to be integrated in Freenow over, um, over a year ago, actually. So I think we are integrated into every multimodal platform that's operated by the public transport authority in the cities we're in, right? Be it mm -hmm. Hafa switch in Hamburg, Gelbi in, in Berlin, BMVG, Rheinbahn. So I think that makes a ton of sense. Checkmark, right? Like people are going to accept that, you know, public transport infrastructure and a mobility mode should work together. The private partnerships are obviously the most complex because it's it's some level of co-opetition. And I think if the partners are honest with each other and, and can somehow settle down on what the clear joint objectives are, it can be fruitful. It's definitely a sensitive topic, though, because you obviously don't want, you want to give a high degree of experience the, the, to, to your platform partner. But at the same time, you know, if it's the sister company of one of your largest competitors or um, if you're a micromobility operator and they operate Hive. And I mean, there is this always this like fear of touch point. Mm -hmm. So it's something that needs to be addressed and, 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 and correctly worked out in, in the daily operating mode and contractually, I, th I feel. Mm -hmm. You gave a few cues already that kind of yeah, point in the direction of what's the main challenge um, in, the, in the industry. You said, oh, it's not like hospitality where booking.com can take a big margin, it's a low margin business, there's competition, sometimes co-opetition, even more complex. And when you look from an outside perspective on car sharing, it seems like there was a big step from station-based to free-floating. But since then, what has really happened in terms of innovation? Are you are standing, your company stands out with a pricing model. Can you describe what you're doing differently there? And, but what else is happening maybe under the hood that a consumer doesn't notice at first? How, how are you really differentiating at the moment? Yeah, so I think one of the large differentiators with us is obviously the pricing method, as you as you mentioned. We have a distance-based pricing scheme, so you pay for pay for the ride, not 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 for the for, not for the traffic. That's our basically our slogan, right? Mm -hmm. That be it nine in the morning, five o'clock, middle of the night, doesn't matter. That's always your path from work to home or to the gym or whatever it is you're using us for will always cost the same. So, I've been. I've been in the industry, as you mentioned, for a while, and I've looked at a lot of things. And one thing that we feel is that people generally don't enjoy price fluctuations in mobility. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you would go to the public transport or to the train in the morning, you don't want to find out that it's all of a sudden more expensive or be unclear, be unclear how much it's going to cost that day. And I would say that something where we have kind of enjoyed, let's say, is, um, is, is taxis, for example. You know, it's never a surprise how much it's going to to be. It's not like they can create their own their own pricing uh, method. Mm -hmm. And so, with us, we just feel that being planable and being reliable in in this sense offers a lot of value um, to the consumer and, and transparency, and that it's rewarded in senses of of loyalty and the customer coming back. So, I think that's that's the one aspect. The second is that we don't do surge pricing, so we don't um, like if, obviously if it rains is a, is a you know minus degree weather and and, and rain would be a great instant for us to, to raise the price, right? And to say uh, people, um, people want to use our mode more. We don't do that either. On the other hand, what we don't do um, is we don't um, just offer discounts and vouchers and, and you know, come back to me and, and, and all this type of thing. I think the service that we offer, it's an extremely expensive asset. 
that you're offering for a fraction of the cost. I mean, it's not even comparable. We're you know under one euro per driven kilometer, and it's a it's a 30, 40k um, asset. So um, I feel that to discount this heavily is irresponsible in terms of ecologic footprint. And and so I've just seen with not bashing on the ride hailers, but you know in, in terms of market share um, grab in the United States, there was a time where like Uber and Lyft were battling it out in cities where you basically never had to pay to get to get a ride from A to B. And, and so I think we have a different sustainable approach here saying, okay, what we offer is fair and transparent, but you have to pay for it because it is value that we're delivering. So I would say that those are the, the key differentiators on that sense. And lastly, on, on, on your question, what consumers might not see under the hood, what we do see is a convergence of like the rental space and our space. Um, so mm-hmm. we have gone into... Day rentals. I mean, on a miles vehicle, you can book us up to 30 days on a single trip. You don't don't even need to book in advance. You can do it totally flexible. And these are the type of rentals that I would say were traditionally more the station-based car sharers. Like, I mean, by definition, they did not have an, a trip from A to B. You had to return the vehicle anyways to the same place, which which obviously entails a larger trip. And this is something that we see growing um, quite significantly, uh, where we're trying to to continue our path of, of price transparency and, and ease of use. However, the model is becomes more complex, right? People, you know, want larger distances, but you're including the fuel price. How do you offer competitive transparent pricing that that somehow offers this flexibility, right? Um, so these are the things that we're we're trying to tackle day in, day out. So you're 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 not a fan of you mentioned surge pricing, but in general, I guess revenue management in this way to say I charge everybody a different rate. And then depending on what channel they came from, I try to get the max out. But your strategy is the fair and transparent and getting customer loyalty in this way. And then you're saying, well, our growth comes from what everybody realizes from the outside is more and more of the revenue is actually in daily rentals. We're actually eating into the car rental market because we're also offering now the day rates and the, and the weekly rates. How big like order of magnitude in terms of a percentage would that be for you today? Something that's maybe a day or more, are we talking about this is a new thing that's 5 or 10% or it's already much bigger? No, it's significant. It's, it's definitely significant to us. And I think yeah. it varies by, um, by vehicle type. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also differentiate ourselves by having different vehicle types. So we also offer like commercial vehicles, so Transporter, like Mercedes-Benz, um, Splinter, VW Crafter. The use case behind one of these vehicles by definition, is not going from A to B for 10 minutes. I mean, mm. by definition, it's like you you have the space in the back and that's where you're loading things. Mm. So these vehicles, by definition, are more enticing or used for, for, for longer uh, hours or days on end. So it, for us, it's definitely a growth market, um, these, these longer trips, and, and extremely relevant. I think this convergence of sharing and rental that you mentioned is a really interesting thing uh, from, from kind of an industry dynamics perspective because... Car sharing at the end of the day is still small compared to the leasing market or the car rental market. And I mean, do you basically think that in a few years, um, the largest car rental company in Europe will originally have been a probably free-floating sharing provider? It's a, it's a good question. I, I, I would like to say yes, because if so, we'd be in a pretty good position to, to get there. I mean, it's not like the car rental companies don't see this trend. I mean, be it Sixth has a car sharing entity, Europe Car has a car sharing entity. So it's two ways, right? We are developing upward in terms of rental length and they are developing downward in terms of, of length. And just to add a bit of complexity, you have the subscription players that are somewhere between rental and traditional leasing. So 
it all has to do with the fluidity, ease of use, the complexity of giving people a car, um, you know, how much room do you allow for uh, for configuration, right? Like, is it, I you, you say a compact and I do I give you any car that's compact or is it really, you still want to play into the size and the color, right? So is it three months? Is that short term? Is that long-term rental three months or is it short-term lease? I don't know, like 60 days, which one is it? So I think depending on where you are positioned in the market, you are developing into the direction that, that is probably operationally easier for you to do to develop into. What's your main advantage as a miles compared to a traditional car rental company when you are going to the daily rentals and competing? That their compl that traditionally their complexity is is lower than um, than ours. So I mean, we operate in Berlin, a business area of 300 square kilometers. Basically, mm -hmm. telling a customer if you take the car, you don't have to drop it off in within 15 minutes, but you can keep it for 30 days. It's not hard if you're a if you're a car rental company which with three locations in Berlin where customers come validate themselves and then bring the car back. Going from that into <laughs> operating 300 square kilometers on the side of the road is more complex. I mean, they they have other advantages um, over over us, but I think this is just one of the the key aspects of of where our our business is extremely nitty gritty and theirs is still very simple. A lot of people probably think about your business as yeah, also the hassle of a daily or weekly operations. And I think not all of it is in-house. There also is also a large number of yeah, operations providers that are also supporting this. But how important from a yeah, business perspective and profitability perspective is optimizing like the, the next level of optimization on your operations front versus actually the purchasing and then maybe selling of vehicles because you you manage your running on 30 to 40,000 assets but that's like a list price asset and the car rental companies are boasting about how they are basically getting huge discounts uh, by buying larger quantities buying the slower moving vehicle types and so on where where do you see most of the potential for or where what's the even more strategic angle for a vehicle sharing operator for a car sharing at least the purchasing yeah. or the daily operations I think they both play hand in hand. I think the the decision making process has a different level of of, uh, <laughs> of lock in effect, right? If I purchase the wrong car, I'm kind of stuck with it for for a, for a long time. But on the other hand, daily operations, I need to get it right every day. So, if you're talking about this traditional in German, you would say Direktkundengeschäft that that the uh, car rental companies have. It's something that we don't have, and I'm not certain that we want it. So if you go to an airport and go to the car rental station and you just take a look at the, what's on the floor, it's like a super mix of cars. It's orange and black and red and you know one is automatic and the other one is manual transmission. It's the big engine, it's the small engine. It's right as, as you say, they're getting the vehicles that are not fast moving. So it's, it's kind of like what's falling, what no one's purchasing, what's falling off the end of the, of the production line. That's what you're left with, right? Therefore, you get a huge discount. So in terms of, you know, brand and, 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 and also sustainability aspects, we don't want to take whatever they give to us. We want to ensure that, you know, we know the vehicles that we're getting. We ensure that they have the smallest level of motorization, that, they're, uh, that they have all the safety features and, 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 and fast assistance systems, so, uh, so distance measuring, uh, parking sensors. So everything that, that we feel is relevant for our business, navigation systems. So this is something that you will find in every miles car. Am I really willing to pay more for uh, for a larger engine? Not really, even with a discount, right? I, I don't want it from a sustainability standpoint because we're not selling a test drive, we're selling mobility. And also, um, like we want to have a handle on the operational 
efficiency of a vehicle. So how complex is it to clean? How complex is it to repair? And if they're basically throwing stuff over the fence at us that we, we haven't had a handle on before, um, half of my fleet will be manual transmission. The other half will be automatic. Um, then the engine types will vary. The colors will vary. This is all stuff that we don't want. We want simplicity uh, in, in, the, uh, in, mm-hmm. the, in the asset. So that in terms of one, in terms of operation, I mean, it's absolutely make or break. You need to have the entire, you need to have the entire operations value chain down, um, understand when do you get the vehicles, how long are they in your fleet for, how often do you have to touch the vehicle, how often uh, does a customer touch it on average, what's the vehicle downtime, when is it in the right place, how much does it consume, how much does it break down, how much goes wrong, how many customer care contacts do you, uh, do you touch. So yeah, it's uh, absolutely critical to monitor this and 100 other KPIs constantly. How long approximately do you keep your vehicles in the, in the fleet in terms of maybe years or kilometers before, uh, between, before they face off? Between two and four years. Okay, so much longer than car rental. Yeah, definitely. This, this turnaround time that they have, like these six months or something, yeah, we were, we're on a much longer time frame. So you're not planning to sell them higher than you purchase them, no. basically, but actually get most of the use out of them. And then in terms of running the operations and the, do you, ha- do you have your own repair shops that you're controlling? Yeah, so we, we do the entire, we do everything in-house. I mean, if you, the, the customer care, operations, um, repairs, I mean, uh, we, do, we do all of it in-house. It's, it's for multiple reasons, but the, it comes down to being able to control quality and cost, and you can do it better in-house. I, I like to say that we're, we're a traditional, small, medium-sized enterprise, right? We, we hire people, we don't use gig economy, so they're... Right, we have a, a mix of, of educational backgrounds um, that work here, be it, you know, obviously educated people uh, that have gone to university, uh, postgrads and, and, and so on, but also traits, um, these, type, uh, these type of skilled labor uh, workers as well. So by be, having these things in-house, uh, we can control the quality at which the, the services are delivered in-house and also the cost at which they, they, um, they, are, they are delivered. So absolutely critical. We also use service providers, of course, but it enables us to, much, uh, to have a much better benchmark on, on, on this. Not everybody in mobility and especially on the operator side is driving towards profitability, it seems, especially not maybe on a shorter time frame, but for you, that was somehow important. I think you talked a lot about that also in different occasions this year, how you reach profitability and not just like for once very quickly, but then like in the best summer months, but for a longer period. Why do you do that? Why is that your strategy to be profitable? And how did you get there? Where, where are you on this journey? So how long are you profitable now? And how will that continue? Why is it important? So I think for, it was, it was interesting when, when, when we joined in 2019 and we said, all right, like, let's get this profitability down immediately. It was a bit, you know, I'm not going to say some people were irritated with us with, with this statement because, you know, 2019, like super micromobility land grab wars uh, were, were underway, uh, feeling like Lime and Tier and Co. were like with, with good reason, right? We're, we're launching like one week, one city per, per day, per week. It was, it was crazy. But I felt that with, with us, it was such a clear... Um, unfortunately, our market has had players that have been here for a long time. And it's one of the the longest standing prejudices against car sharing is like, mm-hmm. it can't be profitable. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like we just needed to get this out of the way, have it proven at one point, and also just to not scale errors, right? If you do operations correctly in, in three cities or in four, you can do it correctly in 16. If you do it 
incorrectly in 17 to roll back um, culture and, and, and change the way people think is, is more difficult. So that's why we, we set on this path. And lastly, it's, um, it's what you mentioned, Gona. Um, yes, you know, the, the vehicles are not purchased. Uh, to a large degree, they're financed or, um, or, or debt financed. Banks are not interested in your startup pitch and hockey, uh, hockey stick. <laughs> banks, oh, <laughs> banks give you <laughs> take take risks and don't like taking risks. So when you when you speak with a bank, uh, they they want that in reach. So it's much better, to, much easier to scale if you have decent numbers than 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 undecent numbers. And how long are you profitable now? I think you're tracking that in months that you are basically we're now yeah, so, continuously profitable since X. How's yeah, that so at the moment? I would say. I would say currently we're, we're we're on the right path. I don't want to take take too much out of this. I mean, the year is not not quite done. Okay. So, I mean, we do have a, we have, do have audited accounts. So I'm happy to come back to you uh, the first quarter of next year and tell you where the where we ended out uh, in the year in total. Yeah. And it's uh, I, it's it's safe to say that this year has already been better than last on that nice. in that regard. And where do you go from there? You mentioned you basically want to scale a profitable business because that's easier than like rolling back and so on. And once you think you have this cracked, um, you get the prejudice out of the way, you get it easier for investors and then you can replicate more easily. That investor work, I mean, to the extent that you are already, that you are talking about this, but what can you share on that? Where are you in this point? So the company had a certain evolution over the last years. You've grown your fleet also in Germany, notably already, but Where is that um, going to head in the next 12 or 24 months? What are some maybe inflection points that now you have profitability for for a while? Then what happens? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think the most re the most important aspect about, on that is that it's it's up to us. And I think a lot of what it what it a lot of the reasons we we fought this and 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 went down this path is to now be able to say, okay, now we decide what's important for us and 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 mm -hmm. what what isn't. It's definitely different when you're like running from, you know one runway pitch to the next runway pitch because you're, you're running out of, uh, running out of liquidity. Um, mm -hmm. So I think from, in terms of infliction points, we feel that Germany still has a lot of potential, but at this stage we're at, definitely the question comes up, okay, what about internationalization? And it's something that we're definitely taking a deep look at at the moment. Um, I think we, I mentioned at, at uh, Wunder Mobility at the summit, we will always choose the path of least resistance. I think it's something we would do now again, simply ensuring that with the scarcity of resources we have, we, we, we utilize them effectively. So if we feel that you know, the German market or the total addressable market in terms of cities or so on here is easy to scale into and, and, and offers a lot of growth opportunity, we would likely take that before we, we would take some, like an, another country in Europe. But definitely, I think the the proof points and the timing of that is getting closer and closer. If you look at the size of the cities we're in in Germany, where we're scaling down to, the, um, I would say the other European markets are growing in terms of, um, of opportunity size. I think that like launching a new market is kind of like worth a press release or something and then gets a little bit of attention, but growing in an existing market, not so much. It's a more gradual thing. But can you give like some numbers, give us a feeling for like where we stand on this in terms of Berlin is your main market, I guess. Like roughly how many vehicles do you think are in the market in Berlin today, car sharing vehicles? How many of those are miles? And what do you think is that potential for a number of car sharing vehicles in Berlin in a few years, in three or five years? 
So Berlin, I think, has roughly 6,000 um, uh, free float car sharing vehicles, a couple mm-hmm. of station based um, on top. I would say in terms of in terms of uh, vehicle market share, uh, Miles has half or more. In terms of how much potential can the city take? I mean, we can argue this uh, this case all day with uh, with uh, with somebody from the station based um, car sharing fraction, uh, but it's you know how many cars does a car sharing vehicle replace? Right? Is it four? Is it eleven? Is it twenty two? Depending on which study each of us wants to quote on the given day, it's somewhere in that range, right? Berlin has 1.2 million private cars. So, you know, if you average it out with 11, let's say 4 to 22 are the studies that I know. So, Berlin has room for 100,000 car sharing vehicles. That's the, that's the bottom line answer. Yeah? And I definitely feel that there's room to grow in that. Like, we don't see a reason to stop our growth um, in, in, in Berlin. We've grown geographically in terms of topography. We've grown in vehicle size. And we feel that it's, it's still possible. Are you the largest, in terms of number of vehicles, the largest car sharing provider in Germany at the moment? I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I, I have to say. It's, uh, I think it's, a, it's, it's least, probably an, an ego statement that, that we won't, wouldn't track. Um, at best, it's, it's at least very close, <laughs> if not it, the it's largest. Made, yeah. it's, it's probably a close call, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I haven't seen the latest um, share now figures. And what's your biggest bottleneck in this expansion because you mentioned okay you you have roughly half the market now you have chosen strategy to basically show profitability then expand go to the area of least resistance but is there that demand in the market or isn't it that basically we're coming from the industry we know this makes a lot of sense you think there are many different studies and stuff in theory there could be so many but there's consumer behavior change that has to take place for the thing to happen and it's unclear if people really actually want that could you put another 2,000 cars into Berlin now and get demand for it? Or is that really the bottleneck, the demand? I, yeah, I think you're, you're asking a couple of, of really good questions. I think one is important to clarify that, that you know, our, our market share in Berlin varies by vehicle type, right? So, I mean, yeah. ShareNow and WeShare don't have uh, light commercial vehicles, right? So that's mm-hmm. like a whole block of our, of our um, vehicles that, that don't go into account. So if you're just on passenger car, our market share is by far not, not, not that. In terms of bottleneck currently, it's, it's vehicle supply. I mean, absolutely, the chip shortage at the moment is the absolute nightmare, a nightmare scenario for, for, for everyone. So that, that is currently definitely the, the, the bottleneck in the next, let's say, 12 to 18 months, depending on which OEM you're, you're asking. <laughs> But that's currently what, what, what you're facing um, in, in terms of inhibitors. Does that drive your also... Yeah, purchase, vehicle purchase price, not just availability of vehicles, but now all of a sudden there's no discount anymore? Yes and no. Yes and no. I think it's, um, I think in the past there's always been like this fluctuation in, in terms of who has bargaining power. But at the end of the day, I think with, with our relationships with, with, the, with the OEMs and, and, and the vehicle financiers, yeah, heute mal so, heute mal so. Like, okay. it's, it's, you know, I, I think anyone who would, who would rationally tell us like, look, you know, The world is different than it was a year ago. Now you have to pay X. I think we haven't been the other way around when our vehicle orders have gone up, like, you know, proportionally like 5X, 10X on an individual order. It's not like the price has dropped in that sense either. I think there's, a, there's an amicable relationship with this. And I, I think that most rental companies will tell you the same thing. It's, um, you know, you still want to be partners um, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
And in terms of the other question that you had uh, towards consumer demand and, and change of behavior, I mean, that's really the that's really the chasm that needs to be taken, right? I mean, like people going from this old method of individual car ownership to to new mobility. And I've said this, you know, a hundred times, and, 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 I've, and I'm happy to, to to repeat myself here. The easiest thing for us to do is to just lock down the cities and not allow private cars, just make people walk. Like that's that's the easiest thing in the world. I mean, from a pure from a pure getting there to people no longer using cars. But we won't do that because because obviously the political party of any city in power would be ousted in the next uh, election if that's what they what they what they would do. So the 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 path there is somehow incremental with the you know increased regulatory requirements to to the engine and and uh, increasing the um, the Parkraumbewirtschaftung uh, in Germany. So uh, paying for public space to adequately price um, you know the road and what it costs to to maintain it. And so it's a step step first step progression. But at the other end, I think we as a as a car sharing industry, but also mobility overall, is doing a huge favor in terms of convenience. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? It's enabling people to still be, let's say, more sustainable in the way they act and, and better, but still have the comfort and flexibility that they desire, right? And that this freedom that obviously um, a lot of people have when it comes to a private car ownership. Now, some people say that this is not enough and it's not, 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 a, not a, sufficiently, a sufficiently severe step towards sustainability. But I really feel that anyone who's doing something you know, in the space um, and, 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 and helping the path to sustainability, no matter how incremental the effect, I think should be pushed, pursued, and supported more. I mean, we're transporting millions of people here within Berlin. And I think if everyone just like reduces everything just a bit, it, it, it already has like such a massive effect. And so I think the whole shared mobility industry is doing public policymakers a huge favor in terms of being able to become more sustainable, but also relate convenience to, uh, to the people within cities. When you talk about these public policymakers, is there a city in Europe maybe or anywhere in the world that is kind of your role model that you uh, wish the ones you are operating in would also go more towards? Is there a city in the world that's like your role model as a car sharing operator that you wish Hamburg and Berlin and Munich were more like them? I think it would be wrong for me to, to, to choose one of the cities because I only have an outside view. So if I were to maybe say Madrid or, um, or, or Ghent or, or one of these cities that, that, that seem you know, inclusive and, and, and easy to collaborate with from the outside, All I can say is when you operate in a city really day to day, it's a different type of relationship with, with the city. So I don't want to like give props to someone where I have no relationship with, uh, you know, and, 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 and disparage the relationships that I, that I have on the other end. Uh, I do have to say that in the cities that we, we operate in in Germany, which is, you know, Hamburg, Berlin, Potsdam, Munich, uh, Cologne, Düsseldorf, Duisburg, and Bonn, there is a large discrepancy of clear goals set by the city that they wish to achieve. There is a clear discrepancy between like the desire for political statements versus like incremental change. Like some cities would like, you know, large statements to be made and other cities want like proven incremental uh, change. And I think that the discussion basis is completely different from city to city when it comes to the individuals responsible and how much background they like how much knowledge they bring they bring into this discussion at times it feels 
it's it's overwhelming at times how 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 you have to start at the beginning and improve like um you know like you're just sometimes you, you feel like you're discussing the uh, discussing the the freezing point of water like it's you know like as if this is up for debate you know and and at other times it feels like that the people are very informed um have have a clear opinion have a clear strategy that they wish to that they wish to follow and of course are challenging to us right at times cities do do set high demands which is fair but are also understanding of where we're coming from you mentioned that okay there are a number of different studies different outcomes but by and large it's clear that one car sharing car replaces several traditional cars but then some people are wondering is that maybe radical enough in the end of the day you're still using a car to get from a to b it's not public transport it's not a bike and when cities get maybe more under pressure or get more ambitious in their goals do you think that's also a threat to your business model being fully cars and you have basically a new well one of one of the one of the players in the market in germany emmy that's now acquired by goto then they will become multimodal and sort of try to run the strategy that they have in israel for for a while of um, having all of that under one roof of cars and mopeds and bikes and so on is that something cities might look at that as ins insufficient i mean this is a question that only makes sense in an irrational world right i mean there's 1.2 million private cars 6000 car sharing cars and why would we why would we seek to be um you know limited and and and, const and like uh, to have roadblocks constructed for for our path so it's only in an irrational world would you attack or make life difficult for the 6000 cars that have a much higher utilization a much higher positive effect and allow the 1.2 million for example in the city of berlin to continue to operate as they do today that might show you a bit the line of where the debate is coming from right i mean there are um Uh, boroughs in Berlin, Stadtbezirke, uh, where car sharing, car, uh, car sharing operators pay double-digit percentages of the entire um, parking fees that are um, that are uh, of the entire revenue base that are that are collected in in the borough. Right, so we don't have one percent of the vehicle fleet in the city, not even close. But still, in some boroughs, we pay thirty percent of the entire uh, park park service revenue. That's insane. That's that's ludicrous. So as long as this disparity is still there. Yes, some people might not find it radical enough, but um, I would, I would, I would hope that the policymakers would attack or or seek to impose restrictions on the other vehicles and not on on those uh, alleviating the effect. Now, mm -hmm. once that that is kind of taken, I don't feel that the, I think that the multimodal um, service operators like Go to, but also Lime or um, like going from e-scooter to moped um, or or Tier, I think we all have a fair fair shot at this and, and if and if it ever becomes like regulated or um or, or multimodal um tickets are allocated i think they will take a look at you know what is in germany you would say like what is what has a proven track record what has a sense of uh, of impact who has maybe collaborated with public transport authorities in the past and that this will probably be a a more relevant uh, namesake than than just operating different modes Mm -hmm. And beyond um, the yeah, policy angle from your own operations point of view or maybe marketing point of view and giving your users that experience of whatever they need in that moment, do you think that has some merit? No, I, I think we have a quite a clear opinion that that the operational complexity with, with added modes is too high. So we, if you're asking, like, will Miles ever put scooters um, on, on the road or, or Muppets? Today, I would say my answer to that is no. 
maybe my answer will change in, in the future, but currently it's definitely a different it's definitely a different ballpark altogether. And in terms of um, also multimodal um, apps and platforms, I kind of compare it to to like a Swiss Army knife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good, but it's never as good as a kitchen knife for what you're using it for, and it's never as good as a screwdriver. You know, it, there there are tools that are just better at it, and I think that ours is very similar. The experience of the user journey of a single rental within our environment is better and more function uh, has a larger degree of functions and, and 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 offerings that it has compared to what the what the multimodal platforms that we are integrated in offers today. But of course it is because they have to integrate the journey of scooters and of mopeds and of car sharing and of public transport and of bikes. And so they have to do all these different user journeys instead of focusing on, on, on one. And I think that that's something that they, it will inherently be true that this, this will remain um, that, that way. So in terms of for us, I don't think we will operate a different mode. And I think for the user, yeah, it'll, um, I think the user will find their own path to, to what they feel they want to use and where. It basically depends on also how how good the available inventory is in any market. And since you, for example, are focusing just a few markets, you have a super high availability. Basically, you you're alluding a little bit to the like operational complexity. Once you take on multiple modes, then it becomes maybe really crazy. But even now today, with just cars, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, stories in the last two years of like things people wouldn't believe are actually happening uh, in your day to day. That I don't know people are calling in about or that you are maybe rediscovering like a lost car and and then what happened in between. But what's something that was the most unexpected thing that happened in your day-to-day since you joined Miles about two years ago? There's a lot of stuff that I can't say on air. Okay. Uh, and I definitely don't want to say on air. I think the best maybe clean story that I have is a customer calling in, in Hamburg and saying that there was a live crab in the car. <laughs> like, like a full size of a, of a human hand. Like a live <laughs> crab. And we were like, okay, can you send us a picture? That was really like a live crab the size of a plate that the uh, driver before um, had kind of lost in the car. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it freaked out. <laughs> Obviously, understandably so, the, um, the, the, the passenger after. So I would say... That was definitely the most interesting forgotten, um, forgotten item. That we've, <laughs> like, a, uh, <laughs> like a prank. And then what did you do? Because it was still alive. So, yeah, we sent a, we sent an employee um, to to, okay. to the car and, and collected it, and then I think we brought it to the to uh, to the zoo. And because it was not a gig economy worker, then he actually felt obligated to <laughs> yeah, exactly. even take care of this mission. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have a picture of the crab being being put into an aquarium somewhere. Really? Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. I think I, I <laughs> it's really it awesome. <laughs> wow. I think that's super interesting. You basically have this long journey in um, new mobility from your own aggregator um, startup, then the big yeah, sort of Volkswagen experiment in Moya, and, and now probably at least on the way to the largest hashing provider here. And with kind of a claim of, well, towards the industry, let's prove that this can be profitable. I think you're totally right. People are like saying it all the time. For sure, caching can't be profitable and it's super yeah, important and cool that um, you're showing that now it can be. But also yeah, towards consumers, this kind of thing about transparency and fairness, that's what our brand will be. I think like in a lot of industries, a lot of especially like service service industries, that's yeah, often 
uh, winning strategy. I think it's super interesting and super cool. And numbers that you gave in terms of potential market available in relative size today. I mean, I'm not sure if the, like how long it will take for this demand to really be there at scale. I'm surprised at like how slowly people are adopting to new things in mobility on the one hand, but on the other hand, yeah, you're really just scratching the surface. What percent of trips in Berlin do you think, what's your estimate at the moment are actually in, in, in shared vehicles? If, if at all, it's in the one digit percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like Wegstrecke, right? Like the, the average person in a city mobile person does 3.7 trips, 3.8 trips, um, right per day. I mean, like look at Berlin, 4 million inhabitants, right? Or with the surrounding area. So it's like 3.8, let's say 16 million trips or something mm-hmm. added to the, um, to Berufswege. So I can say that we as a car sharing industry don't have a fraction of it. Uh, overall, the average car sharing car makes how many trips per day, roughly? Like on an industry average? I, I know miles is probably higher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I've I've heard some numbers in the past of like five uh, five trips from uh, like if looking at some uh, some old uh, share now posted uh, posted yeah. um, stats. So maybe but, thirty thousand if we're lucky um, on yeah. on car sharing, but then of whatever twelve to sixteen million total yeah. trips, it's super, exactly. super small. Yeah, and then you have like um, the mic- I think it probably more. I think like they have much higher turnover on their vehicles and they have a lot more. Yeah. Like the the limes and tears of, of, of envoys of the world. But it's a fraction. I think we're by far not 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 where we uh, not where we want to be. Likely at between one and two percent, I think probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Thanks a lot for spending the time with us today and sharing some of your learnings. It was super interesting. And I hope that, yeah. Even if it's not a birthday, then uh, I'm sure I think it wouldn't have been, the experience wouldn't have been much different. <laughs> Hope that you'll be yeah, at the summit again next year or whatever other opportunity we have in between that we'll uh, meet again outside of this recording as well. Thanks. Look forward to it. See you. Bye-bye. Ciao.